Father, we thank you this morning for your presence, for the beauty of this winter season, for the promise of spring. In this new year, Father, give us hope, hope that we will overcome the virus, hope that we will overcome the dissension in our midst, hope that we will stand strong as a people and as a nation. This year, Father, help us to follow you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. So glad to have you here today. While you're standing, why don't you come forward just a little bit if you want to. You don't have to, but if you would like to, that would be a great thing. So as you're turning around and greeting your neighbor, why don't you wander forward, please. Good morning from Kids Street as well. Hi, girls. You guys have a good Christmas? Are any of you um, starting to take down your Christmas decorations yet? You still have your tree up? Yeah. You still have your lights on? Do you still turn on your lights every day? Yeah. Some people start taking down their Christmas decorations, right? New Year's comes, they want to take them all down. I used to make my mom and dad keep mine up all the way till my birthday, January 6th. Yeah. They got used to it after a while. But you know, there's a reason why January 6th is a day where we celebrate these guys. Do you know who they are? You want to hold one? They're kind of breakable, so be careful. You see these around the nativity scene? around Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and the shepherds and the cows and the sheep and the angels. Who are these guys? The three wise men, yeah. You know, they don't really belong around the nativity scene at Christmas. They didn't show up until 12 days after Christmas is when we celebrate it. You know that song, On the first day of Christmas my true love gave to me, yeah. That song is about the 12 days after Christmas, and the 12th day is January 6th, and it's not celebrating my birthday. It's marking the day that the wise men showed up and gave gifts. I think maybe that's where the whole idea of giving gifts started, was because the wise men brought gifts to baby Jesus. Do you know what they brought baby Jesus? Three wise men, right? So three gifts. You know the first one? What's that? What color is that? Gold. You want to pass it around? It's in the shape of a heart, right? Gold, right? Lots of kings would have a lot of gold, right? So that signified that Jesus was going to be the king of kings, 
right? The king of our lives, the king of the world, okay? Second one, it's kind of like a candle here. You know what that is? Gold and starts with an F. Frankincense, yeah, fire. (laughs) Frankincense, that's what they would light. You see our candles here? They would light them during worship. So frankincense was an incense that they would burn during worship. So that signified that the wise men knew that baby Jesus was going to be worshipped. Okay? He was going to be the Lord of our lives. And the third one is this. We kind of sang about this today. How Jesus saved us. Right? We're all children of God. This is called myrrh. And this is an embalming oil. And you want to just look at it? That's what they use on bodies to prepare them for burial. They knew that Jesus would die on the cross someday for our sins. He would be raised from the dead and be worshipped and be raised as king of kings. That we would live with him forever. Those prophecies were talked about in the Old Testament. So, think about that when we get to January 6th. Don't think about Mr. Dave's birthday, okay? (laughs) I don't want anybody to know I'm 52. But um, think about the 12th day of Christmas, right? That Jesus is our king. He is worthy of worship. He came to save us from our sins so that we could live with him forever. You bow with me, and then I'll give you a little piece of gold so you can remember the 12th day of Christmas, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the ultimate gift, the gift of your Son for his life and death and resurrection, that we live in him. Help us share that good news to those around us, we pray. In your Son's most holy name, amen. Let's stand and continue to worship and praise God together. I belong to the King. I'm a child of His love. I shall dwell in His palace so fair. For He tells of its bliss in yon heaven above. And its children its splendor shall share. I belong to the King, I'm a child of His love, and He never forsaken His own. He will call me someday to His palace above. I shall dwell by His glorified throne. I belong to the King, and He loves me, I know, for His mercy and kindness so free. Are ceasingly mine, wheresoever I go, and my refuge And he never forsaken his own. 
of pain to his palace above. I shall dwell by his glorified throne. I belong to the King, and his promise is sure that we all shall be gathered at last in his kingdom above. By life's water so pure, when this life with its trials is past. I belong to the King, I'm a child of His love, and He never forsaketh His own. He will call me someday to His palace. I shall dwell by his glorified throne. I shall dwell by his glorified throne. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Just to know the saint the Lord Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust him more. Trust his cleansing blood Just in simple faith To plunge me Neath the healing cleansing blood Jesus, Jesus How I trust him How I proved him more and more Jesus, Jesus Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that He is with me. Father, we come to you and worship for all the blessings 
for our favor with you, for the healing you bring to us, for our forgiveness. We thank you for your church where we can give you our worship and bring back a portion of those things you've blessed us with. Help us use those gifts to further your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Nate. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to the book of Revelation, 
chapter 2, beginning a series from the book of Revelation, the letters to the seven churches. Normal churches for the most part that had some issues. Some were doing good, some weren't doing so good. Most of them were doing some good and some bad, typical people. So we'll look at these for the next seven weeks and get an idea of what was going on in the early churches. Remember when they address a church like in Ephesus today, it probably wasn't one congregation. Ephesus was a large city, so there were probably multiple congregations. We don't know that for a fact, but it seems probable. A church was growing quickly, and there were many leaders and a lot of influences in the church. So sometimes those influences were good and sometimes not so good. Revelation chapter 2, we'll look at the first seven verses. And while you're looking there, a special thanks to Christy Cavanis Adams for keeping all these candles going. It's the big deal. Thank you. And, uh, and all this, and uh, forgot those. That's all right. <laughs> Sometimes we run out of candles, too. And uh, to Nate and the musicians for showing up and making the drive-in and all that. It's kind of odd preaching to a really empty congregation. I watched this show on TV. It's a Channel 62. It's a MeTV channel. And it's people at the Ryland, or the Ryman, I guess, and they're country musicians, and they're playing to an empty, empty hall, and they have recorded applause. So at the appropriate times, if you want to applaud, that'd be great. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it is pretty interesting to watch them. They try to get themselves excited and play to the full house that would normally be there, and there's no one there, of course. It's a, it's a challenge for musicians, I know. Revelation chapter 2. I do appreciate you coming out today, and I know, I know the parking lot's slick, all we need is a few days of sunshine and warm weather, and we'll fix that. As always, we pray. Continue to pray for Nick and Renee, our friend and member who was shot in a shooting several weeks ago. He's doing well, still has some issues. They are trying to bring him out of intensive care and still having some issues there. So pray for them. It's going to be a long-term rehabilitation. So I would encourage you to pray for them if you would, and for others too. I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer. I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence, for our warm place to gather. Father, we thank you for giving us a reason to get out when it would be so easy to stay in and stay warm, there is a reason that moves us to get moving. Thank you, Father, for giving us a life that is worth the trouble, for giving us worship that speaks to our needs and nurtures us and fills us. We thank you for this gift of faith that gives us hope, that gives us a cleansing, and sometimes gives us a reason to go on. Lord, we thank you for this life that we have in Jesus, for all your blessings. We thank you. We pray this morning you would be with us, speak to us from your word, help us to learn from the experiences of other churches, help us to learn from your words to other churches, help us to recognize the weaknesses within us and the strengths. We pray, Father, that you would be able to shape us into the church that you want us to be. We pray this morning, Father, for our nation. This year will be a crucial year. A lot of big changes coming on. 
lots of conflicts, the pandemic, world events that stress us. We pray for your blessings, of course. We pray for wisdom, discernment, peace. Help us to make decisions to get along. We pray, Father, for grace. As always, we thank you for our first responders and our families, soldiers, medical personnel, police, those others that are in difficult situations. We pray for their safety. We pray that you would use them to bring safety and hope to difficult people, comfort their families, and Father, help us as a people. We thank you, Father, for all these good things in life. We recognize that every gift that is good is a gift from above. Give us a willingness to share. Help us to care for others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever seen someone in leadership really mess up? Sometimes in church, sometimes school teachers, sometimes in other places. Have you ever seen someone just really destroy their own public persona in an act of stupidity or something? I remember the first time I saw this in a way that was personal. In one of my previous churches in another town, there was a coach who had a prosthetic leg. He had lost it in an accident. Good guy. Everybody loved him. He was not prone to violent outbursts like your typical coach in so many ways. He was a redhead with all that meant. Dave, you understand, and so you, Aaron, you know, was a redhead and all that stuff, but was a really good guy, very popular with the kids. The children loved him. Everybody loved him. He was a popular man in the community, etc., etc. Until one day, the coach was in a bad mood. There were some things going on in his personal life that kind of set him on edge. And he came and he was obviously in a bad mood. Now, I didn't see this, but my wife did. Told me the whole story. As the game went on, he got madder and madder. At first, he was just obviously angry, kind of stomping around. And then he began to say an occasional screaming word at the kids. And then by the third quarter, he was almost out of control. Almost out of control. He was keeping it. We thought, well, he'll be all right. And Tammy was saying, you know, we thought he was going to make it. And then something happened in the fourth quarter, just a couple of minutes before the game was over, and he popped his top. And you know what I mean by that. He just exploded, and he stomped around, and they stopped the game for just a moment, and he calmed himself down, and they started the game back up, and he went on and on. And, and another minute into the game, and he just exploded, and he stopped everything. And in a fit, he unstrapped his prosthetic leg and threw it across the floor at the kids. Yes, he did that. You could not have scripted it better for comedy TV. And it was ridiculous. The crowd went wild and not with applause. The game was called. It was over. And he had to confront a very difficult mob of angry parents and crying children after that. They didn't fire him. He was a good guy, like I said. He apologized. He made a formal letter to the school board and apologized. Kept his job. But things were never the same for that coach. He lost it, didn't he? And in one silly act of anger and rage over a third grade basketball game, he lost everything. Leaders got to be careful, don't they? It's so easy. You gain 
credibility with people over a period of years. You watch yourself. You treat people well. You demonstrate fair-mindedness. and People begin to trust you, and that takes years to get. And then, unfortunately, one act like that, and you lose it all. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that for leaders in every profession, particularly the church, people needed to really be careful because your behavior needs to demonstrate maturity and spirituality and all those kinds of things. And sometimes it doesn't work that way. So when Jesus was dealing with the churches, particularly the one at Ephesus, he addressed leaders and how they needed to act and how people needed to act when leaders failed. So follow along with me if you would. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'll read verses 1 through 7. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place. Unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So Jesus dealing with leadership and also with those in the church that aren't leadership but are in the congregation. One of the things we can see on screen is it's really important that church leaders earn and maintain their credibility If you think about it this way, it makes sense. We believe that scriptures are God's word, that God inspired them, that he gifted people with the leadership of the Spirit, and then they wrote these things down, and over a period of centuries, God worked to craft scriptures for us. So when you and I hold Bible, it is acceptable to say this is God's word. It is exactly what God wants us to say, and that's my position. So when I talk about scripture, I'm talking about what I think is God's holy writ. I really do think it's a sacred thing. I don't think that we need to alter it in any way. I believe what it teaches and so on and so forth. So it just makes sense that if a church is like that, and if you're like that, and I hope you are, you think that Bible teachers, pastors, and Sunday school teachers and leading in a church not only need to read the Bible and believe it, but they need to be able to teach it and teach it correctly and adhere to traditional Christianity. And don't get hung up about that word traditional. I'm just saying things that Christians generally agree on. And so we hold to those things, and and we think that teachers need to teach those things and not only teach them with their words, but also affirm them with their actions. In other words, it's not enough for a guy or a gal to just say the right things. We want them to earn the credibility to back those things up with their actions. And so this is where we are as a church and as every church. But sometimes in a church that doesn't happen. And there are leaders in the church that reject basic teachings or lose the privilege of leadership because of their lifestyles. And in this church at Ephesus that had happened, and so what had happened was the people had risen up and they tested the leaders and when they found them wanting, they fired them. Yeah. 
They got rid of teachers and people in the church that were teaching those things that were not true and living lives that were not Christian. And you can see that, if you would, in verse 2, still in chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 2. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. Now, in another verse, just a couple down, he mentions a group called Nicolaitans. So this, I'll, I'll sort through a lot of things for you. Uh, uh, this is what we think was going on. In the early church, like I said, there were many congregations, not just one church at Ephesus. And what happened was, there were people who held to false teachings. Teachings that were on, around before Christianity. And they brought those into the church so people would get saved. And they would come into the church. And of course, they wouldn't know biblical teaching yet. And before long, they were position of power, people who, who could speak well, and they could get in front of a crowd without stammering, and they were good folk. And so they would teach those teachings that they knew from some other faith, and they weren't Christian. And they were also integrating non-Christian practices into the church. And it wasn't that they were bad or immoral people, but they were not Christian people yet. They were saved but they weren't teaching Christian things. And he mentions the Nicolaitans. We don't know much about them. Now, Nicholas, you've heard that name before because that was one of the first deacons. And it could have been from him. We just don't know. But what was happening was there was a guy named Nicholas who developed a following. And he developed this following. He was an influential leader. And he gained other teachers underneath him. And they had a set of ideas and they were practices and teachings that weren't Christian. And they weren't seen as evil in that culture because it was a pagan culture, but they weren't Christian teachings. Idolatry and false teachings and, and some sexual immorality and those kinds of things. So what was happening was, this was a very popular cultic group. And in literally dozens of churches, there were people called Nicolaitans. And they were a small group of people in most congregations. And they were gaining influence and they were teaching that which was not biblical. So what had happened in the church at Ephesus was... They recognized this influence, and they tested them, and they had a meeting, and, they, and it wasn't a, a public thing like that, but it was a, a private meeting where the Nicolaitans were brought in, and the leaders of the church, not the pastor, but the leaders of the church and some others were grilling these people, and when they found that their teachings were false, they said, you must stop teaching these false teachings, you're going to be asked to leave. And they refused, and so they were asked to leave the church. So Jesus is commending them for this, not because they were nitpicking at people, not because they were critical of others, but because they were Christians taking a sense of personal responsibility for their church. So here's one of the things we need to learn from this passage. Jesus expects us not just to follow the leader, but he expects us to know Christian teaching. So you as a Christian whether or not you are a teacher in any way or not is almost irrelevant. Jesus expects you to be a student of Scripture. Maybe not in a sense where you could preach a sermon or something like that, but where you would have an idea of what biblical teaching is. And again, we know people can disagree on a lot of things, but there is a large body of material that is Bible-based, New Testament accepted, and Christians all over the world agree upon. And so, Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to know what your faith is, 
And when someone comes into your church and teaches something or says something that challenges those teachings, I want you to challenge them and correct them if you have to. And if they won't stop teaching false teachings, need to move them out of the congregation. So this is Church Discipline 101, and it was a very difficult situation. And Jesus had said this before. If you would, you can see on screen this idea in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Read this with me if you would. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really wolves that will tear you apart. So Jesus, before the book of Revelation was written, decades before, was warning people in his Sermon on the Mount that there would be people in the church that would teach false teachings. And he called them wolves in sheep's clothing, meaning they are a threat. They're not just people with a different idea. They're people with an agenda of destroying the church or misleading the church. So Jesus is saying, Christians, be responsible. So know your scripture. Know the basics of Christianity and what the Bible does say and doesn't say. And when a leader, a pastor or a deacon, or somebody else in leadership position, begins to teach something that you know is wrong, this is where you need to get a friend together, maybe a pastor or another deacon, and have a private meeting with those people and, and check them out. And that's acceptable, by the way. Challenging a Christian leader about their teaching is acceptable Christian behavior. We're not talking about public executions. We're not talking about attacking people through the gossip chain or anything like that. You see, there's a Christian way to do this. But Jesus was saying, you have to do this. You have to protect the church because the church is important. The church is the place where people learn about Jesus. The church is a symbol of God's work on this earth and has to be protected. And yes, God can protect himself and God isn't afraid of bad guys or anything like that. But he expects us to protect the church. Remember, the church is Christ's bride. So we need to protect it as such. So personal responsibility of leadership is one of the key emphasis here. Christian, study your scriptures. Take responsibility for you understanding some of the basics of the faith. And if a pastor, me, or a deacon or someone in leadership position ever teaches something and it doesn't sound quite right, it's all right to ask them about it. But before you attack them, just ask this is what I thought you said, and this is what it sounds like to me. Is this what you meant to say? And go through that process of pro uh, proper communication. And after talking to them, you think they are teaching something that is unbiblical. This is where you need to get a few more people together and get some of the official leadership of the church involved and go from there. But this is something that Jesus wants us to do. So be gracious about it. Be Christian about it. Make sure that you're not upset because it's a political thing and not a biblical thing. And you have to do all that stuff and be gracious and kind. But ultimately, the church is more important than unity. Now listen to that. The church and the integrity of the church is more important than just everybody getting along. Sometimes we hesitate to challenge false teachers because we'd rather just keep the peace. Jesus said sometimes... The peace is not as important as unity in the body. So that's a tough lesson. One of the other things that Jesus talks about is when you get involved in this kind of situation, you've got you to be careful because on screen you can see this idea that we must not allow our defense of the faith to destroy our loving spirit. So what was happening in the church at Ephesus, they did a good job. 
they understood that there were these Nicolaitans that were teaching false teachings, and they observed them, and they critiqued them, and they took notes, and compared notes, and all those kinds of things, and there were meetings, and they got rid of these people who were false teachers. Well, what happened was, this went on for several months, and what happened was people began to say, well, you know, we got rid of those guys. Maybe there are other people in the church we need to watch. So what happened was they developed a critical spirit. So instead of just being suspicious of these people who were obviously doing something wrong, they became suspicious of everybody in the congregation. Now imagine this. So you go to church, and there's a group of people who are listening to you when you teach behind the, behind the scenes. And they're taking notes on your teacher. And they're taking notes on the sermon. And they're taking notes on everybody who says anything. And they're standing around the coffee table and they're taking notes and making sure no one says anything that isn't just exactly right. How would you imagine that would affect a congregation? Well, you know, don't you? It would immediately destroy a congregation. What would happen was people would become very suspicious of each other. People would get really tired of this business of having to defend yourself all the time. And it wouldn't be very long before people would just back off from the church completely. And that was beginning to happen at Ephesus. So when churches all across the region, what was happening was they'd gotten rid of the false teachers and they couldn't shake that idea that we need to police everybody. So Jesus said here that what you have to do is be careful not to allow that to affect you. I have a friend who was a parole officer. He's retired now and a good guy. And he was a funny guy and wasn't prone to hating people or anything like that. One time I was talking to him about what it was to be like with a, being a parole officer. And remember, everybody that he dealt with was at the bottom level demographic. He, they were criminal. They were addicted to something. And they'd been in and out of prison. He said, and he said one day in jest, I just hate everybody. And we bust out laughing because not only, number one, we knew he didn't really hate everybody. But two, he was talking about the frustration of dealing with people at their worst. And he got to where he had to be careful because he could take that attitude of suspicion that was necessary with one people and apply it to everybody. And that's exactly what had happened in the church at Ephesus. They became suspicious and critical of everyone. So Jesus said, you have a problem. Look at verse 4. So he's commended them for their good works, but he said this, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Their first love wasn't their first belief. We're not talking about an order or chronology here. Their first love was this first priority for teaching, loving others. There's this idea that the first thing you learn to do as Christian is follow Jesus as Savior, and that's the core that keeps you together. But then your first love is this first thing you were taught. Love people. Love all people. Especially brothers and sisters in Christ. See, they had forgotten how to do that. They were suspicious of everybody. They just developed this over a period of months, maybe even years. And they just didn't love anybody anymore. They were too busy picking at each other. And Jesus condemned them for that. And here's the warning. And he said this. If you're not careful, I will remove the lampstand from you. Now, in these letters, the lampstand symbolizes the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So he's telling these Christians, listen, if you can't get over this picking at each other thing, you've got to get past this thing. If you can't get past this, the Holy Spirit will simply go away. They'll still be Christians. They'll still have the Holy Spirit in the individual life. But God will essentially be done with that congregation. You see, a church that isn't loving isn't a church. It's just a group of people. 
A church that picks at people all the time and destroys rather than builds up isn't a church. It's just a group of people. A church that doesn't love others and demonstrate the love of Jesus isn't a church. The lampstand is withdrawn. They're still Christians, but they've lost something valuable there with that critical spirit. So the two things from this passage are, number one, make sure in your church that the leaders teach biblical teachings. And number two, do not allow that inquisitive spirit to become poison in your congregation because it can happen. Sometimes it's happened with my own life. I can become critical because of someone and it kind of flows to others. And psychologists call this thing transference where you can get mad at someone or a certain kind of people and then you transfer that to everybody else that's like them or similar to them. It's called transference. And it's a very real thing. And that's what was going on in that first century church. So don't transfer your suspicion of false leaders to everybody in the church. We are taught that the church is the bride of Christ. Our job is to treat people well. Our job is to treat biblical truth and teach it and share the gospel and to demonstrate our love for others. On screen is this passage. Let's go to the next frame. Read this with me, please. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So the key to sharing your faith isn't believing everything just right. That's important. But the key to sharing your faith with others, the key to being known as Christian, is being someone who is loving and gracious and accepting to others. So watch yourself. Test the spirits. Test your teachers. That's all right. But be careful. Don't let that critical spirit become too much a part of your life. Love people and be gracious if you can. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. The invitation today is not just to follow Jesus as Savior, but to follow his teachings and apply those teachings to your daily life. Would you stand with me, please, as Nate leads us? Dave's going to come and lead us in a closing prayer. Just follow Jesus. Become people who know your scripture. Test the spirits, but love others. Dave? I read from Jude 1, 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne of God with exceeding joy, 
To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.